When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, all right. It's time to enter this football time machine of ours and go back to the decade actually correctly today to go back to the decade that we haphazardly label as the noughties to the 2000s and to the football of its time i am jake from what if football and this is episode 62 of the noughties nostalgia podcast and we're looking at the worst premier league players ever of course this is a sports social podcast network production we'll be looking at the barclays every friday noughties nostalgia Every Wednesday, we're just finishing up the Barclays second series. Last week, we'll be back with that in the new year. So from here until Christmas, we've got Naughty's Nostalgia every single Wednesday. And of course, if you enjoy podcasts like these, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash what if football. From just £1 a month, we've got nostalgic podcasts like these. We're looking at some great games every Tuesday. We'll be pitting two teams, players, managers, whatever you like, head to head every Wednesday. We've got some written columns on there every monday sometimes on a thursday as well with football manager content and a weekly football podcast every friday as well so if if you think that's your bag we've got it from just one pound a month without further ado let's get stuck straight in and my first thought was um as suggested by so many people here ali dear now when I put the call to action out there on Twitter and asked my followers who who was the worst Premier League player of all time, I attached a picture of Mr. Mr. Ali Deer. And um, yeah, quite simply put, my first thought when you think of worst Premier League footballers ever, also suggested by the likes of George Spencer, Matty Mack, Dave Matheson, Derek Cleary, Podfather Mags, Joe and Maracas Flute. Derek says there couldn't be any other answer. Mag says this is the only acceptable answer. Joe says it's got to be him. Dave, for obvious reasons. Uh, Matty says he's the worst ever. Uh, Maracas Flute says it's hard to look beyond Ali Deer as an actual, as a non, non, not an actual footballer. So the story of Ali Deer is quite famous, obviously. He's swindled clubs before. He's played up and down the UK. Um, he rung around um, as George Weyers cousin or as George Weyer 
um, touting his cousin, his new Senegalese talent, um, or would he have been Liberian in this in this uh, ruse? Who knows? <laughs> he rung around. He got a trial at Coventry out of it before they ditched him after they seen him train. <laughs> He, uh, he made it to Bournemouth and was quickly told to do one. Um, then the third time was the charm. Southampton boss Graham Soonis bought it hook, line and sinker. Um, he was due to play in the reserve games against Arsenal after training. Everyone in training knew that he was you know, piss poor, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, he was due to be uncovered. His, his, his scam was due to be uncovered. Un- revealed it was soon to be sort of he was soon to be booted out after his reserve game when he plays a poor 45 minutes or so hold off at half time that kind of job but inclement weather called the game off a reprieve for Ali Dia <laughs> and and owing to Southampton's injury problems um, was such that he made the bench such that he was even bought by Sooness in the first place so Southampton versus Leeds 1996 Letizia Matt Letizia gets injured in the match and Ali Dia is thrown into the mix and for 52 minutes Ali Dia played horrific he did have one chance one shot on target to his name in the uh, in the Premier League history books but after 52 minutes Sooness had seen enough the sub gets subbed off he would go up north to play to, to play for Gateshead um, with this now with this folklore of Ali Dia now um, firmly in it he's, he's He's been uncovered. He can't ring around Premier League clubs or football league clubs anymore. He goes to Gateshead, plays for them for a little bit. He gets a business degree out of it now. Lives in London, apparently. Um, I don't know if anyone's been able to track him down recently, but um, Ali Dia, easily, um, judging by the consensus here from our from our followers, and uh, he's my first thought as well, Ali Dia, the worst Premier League footballer of all time. Now let's get on to other suggestions. Chris Sargent says, Marco Boogers. West Ham legend, of course. Harry Redknapp, without even seeing him play, paid £1 million to Sparta Rotterdam for his services. And the highlight of his time in the Premier League was being sent off, as it were, the most memorable occasion, hacking Gary Neville in two. Um, and whilst he was suspended, his knee injury curtailed his time and perhaps his uh, his footballing ability curtailed his time in East London as well. Surgery followed and he went to the Netherlands to rehab it rehab his knee injury and whilst he was in his homeland Harry Redknapp quietly just kicked him out <laughs> just quickly filled the void with uh, with Ian Dowie up front and tried to forget that he'd done such a thing and spent £1 million on this player who was clearly no hoper four Premier League games zero goals from Marco Bugas what a what a boy um, that was 95-96 I think um, off the top of my head Nathan comes in with a more with a more recent, maybe a bit more biased one, I think Nathan's a Huddersfield Town fan. Um, one of the Huddersfield Town carousel when they most recently came up in uh, in 2017. A wee bit harsh, um, maybe. Um, but I'll let this one in since Nathan's a Huddersfield Town fan, I think. Um, Diakabi was signed from Monaco and he scored twice for Monaco in Liga. And young talent would have been around 21, 22, 23 when he signed. Played 46 times for Huddersfield and um, in that time in league form, um, the left winger scored precisely zero goals. That's in the Premier League and the Championship. 12 of these games came in Huddersfield's absolutely, utterly abject second season. Made his debut against Chelsea on the opening day. It was more regular under the Cowleys um, in the Championship, still didn't live up to the hype or the lower level. So then he went on loan to fellow Championship club Forest, didn't score there either. And now he's returned home, he's now in Ligue 2 with Amiens. 
Still 25, still could have a bit of a resurgence. Bit harsh for Adama Diakabi to be sharing the spotlight with some absolute whoppers. Um, but uh, there we are. Uh, thank you for that suggestion, Nathan. We will move on to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Shout out to them. Um, they give us the suggestion of Igor Stepanovs. And this was a surprising bum note from Arsene Wenger. In the good old days of the so his first five or six years when Wenger was at his peak, his signings were always came out of left field, it seemed, and always wowed. You've got, obviously, Patrick Vieira wasn't a household name. He turned him into a household name. Thierry Henry, a bit more of a, less of a like left field choice, but turned him into one of the greatest footballers. Um, of the Premier League's history. Um, you've also got Robert Pires, you've got Freddie, the list is endless. So, would this Latvian defender, would he be a Marian Pahaz in the Latvian sense? Would he be a Tony Adams, Martin Keown in the Arsenal sense? He was bought after an injury to Tony Adams in 2000, Tony Adams getting to the end of his career, really. And you've got Martin Keown in there. This is before Sol Campbell, of course, joined Arsenal in uh, in 2001. Stepanov scores on his debut. He looks great. And then you've got the baptism of fire at Old Trafford. Manchester United, 2001. He's paired off with Gilles Grimondi, um, another great Arsenal defender of the time. <laughs> yeah, he's Arsenal injury crisis. See the 8-2 as well, um, some decade on for another injury crisis, another thrashing. 6-1 it was here. 8-2, of course, it was in 2011. Um, Stepanov was at fault for half the goals. Wasn't featured much after, and three months later, Sol Campbell comes in and was the more was the more permanent replacement for Tony Adams. Of course, we then get Colo Torre in as well. We get the double winners. We get the Invincibles. Stepanov's nowhere near those teams. You won't be surprised to hear, <laughs> and uh, definitely in with a shout of the worst Premier League player ever. Definitely in the top ten for me, anyway. And this one is definitely in my top one. Um, Dave Matheson says Massimo Taibe. Um, yeah. Speaking of crisis, Manchester United were in a bit of a goalkeeper crisis in the summer of 1999. Uh, Peter Schmeichel, almost a decade at Old Trafford, announced his retirement, or rather leaving um, the Premier League, leaving Old Trafford. He would go to Sporting Lisbon, as we know, and Manchester United needed a goalkeeper. Such names were touted like Francesco Toldo, Edwin van der Sar. He wouldn't come just yet. You'd get Mark Bosnich would be the, uh, the number one choice, but by... Late August 1999, early September, you've got Mark Bosnis injured. You've got Raymond van der Howe, the perennial number two, for some time now, three or four or five years at United, also injured. Do you bring in an academy style? Do you just lump on a load of money on a on a goalkeeper that could do do a job, could be a good number two? Raymond van der Howe is getting quite on a bit. Could you sign a good number two? Massimo Taibi comes in from Serie A. Decent enough goalkeeper on the face of it. He makes his debut. Anfield, Liverpool. Makes a mistake for the first goal. That's fine. That's, that's one mistake. Luckily, Jamie Carragher's two on goals bail him out that day and a string of fine saves in front of the cop. Give him man of the match despite a 3-2 win. And um, you think, oh, a good shot stopper, a bit eccentric. Good shot stopper wears his little tracksuit bottoms, doesn't he? Um, in the Gabor Karai realm of goalkeepers there. But it, it seems a, an all right goalkeeper. Maybe have a has a bit of a rick in him. Maybe a David James won't be a number one. He could maybe a good number two. Then Stamford Bridge. Now to put this into context, this is in 1999. Manchester United are treble winners. They hadn't lost since 
December 98 or January 99, I think it was December 98, um, with a game against Middlesbrough off the top of my head. Um, Stamford Bridge, Chelsea aren't the team they are now, um, aren't the team, you know, the pre-Abramovich, pre a good team, top six, top half, definitely very good, you know, Hasselbank, good Johnson, that's Zola, those types of players. Lampard and Terry aren't there yet, you know, definitely not Drogba, definitely not Czech. Um, 5-0. It was. <laughs> he punches Gary Neville in the head when coming for a cross. The beginning of the end. Even Jody Morris scores um, the fifth Chelsea win 5-0. Um, yeah. The next game, Southampton at home. Easy, easy. No disrespect to Southampton. Uh, a middling, jobbing Premier League team always finished between 10th and 17th. Just do enough to stay afloat at the Dell. This was the Dell's um, last season, 1999 uh, 3-3. The ultimate mistake, the ultimate mistake, the mistake that even trying to replicate it on the park, he could never do because he was that bad. A Matt Letizia P-roller from about 25 yards trickles towards Massimo Taibbi, grabs it or looks to grab it, goes through his arms. That's fine. You, your legs are usually closed when you go down and save a shot. No, his legs weren't closed. <laughs> the ball rolls through his arms, rolls through his legs. 3-3. Three, three. And um, that was that was that was Massimo Taibbi's career in England over, and he was just it was just one of the cast that tried to succeed Schmeichel. You have Rim van Gaal would leave, Massimo, Massimo Taibbi of course would leave. You've got Mark Bosnich who would leave for Chelsea. Fabian Bartes would be the next permanent number one for a couple of seasons. Couldn't be trusted. Had another Rick in him, less frequent, but you got the De Canio you know, the, the blinking in the FA Cup. Could he make Di Canio put the ball out? No, uh, out of the FA Cup with that one. The shockers at Arsenal. Then you get Tim Howard, you get Roy Carroll, never really fit United, really. I don't think Tim Howard is probably a better shot stopper, all-round better goalkeeper than Roy Carroll. you got the famous Pedro Mendes ghost goal <laughs> against Roy Carroll in 2004, 5-ish. Um, then you finally get you finally get the Schmeichel succession that perhaps should have happened in 1999 with Edwin van der Sar. Perhaps that's a what if for another day. Um, so Edwin van der Sar comes in, you know, obviously helps that the team was hugely successful <laughs> as well. The other areas of the team were strengthened at roughly the same time. And yeah, Massimo Taibbi, even in United's best time, absolute shocker. So he's definitely up there. Thank you for that one, Dave. Thank you for the memories. So... Tom Moore suggests Patrick Blondeau next. Um, he says, without any shadow of a doubt, I've seen things on Doctor Who I find easier to believe than the fact that Patrick Blondeau is a top-level professional footballer. And I, for one, have never heard of this guy. Um, would have been a very good suggestion for obscure footballer, but that chance has gone now, Tom. Sorry. So he's a, Patrick Blondeau was a right-back signed by Sheffield Wednesday from Monaco. Has all the hallmarks of a proper duff signing. You've got a mid-table Premier League club purchasing a player from a big club for little money in the mid-90s. £1.8 million was the fee, 18 months was the stretch <laughs> before he returned to France, before he returned to Marseille. Now, for Sheffield Wednesday, he played a little bit. He, wasn't, he obviously wasn't the best. In between, either side of that, Marseille, Monaco, 250 league earned games in between, would play in the Champions League. <laughs> But ultimately didn't settle in Sheffield. Sometimes that happens. Angel Di Maria at Old Trafford, for example, to pluck one off the top of my head. He would return for one more crack off English football. 2001-2 season. Wouldn't return to the Premier League, admittedly, probably 
torch that ground, didn't they? Championship, Watford. Watford been down in the championship for roughly 18 months now. Looking for a way back, signed Patrick Blunder. Last one year before returning home again. Just Some things just aren't meant to be, are they? Um, and speaking of things that just are not meant to be. Dean Pope, he suggests. Milton Nunes, Sunderland legend. Um, I think we've had it. Milton Nunes has appeared on this podcast before. I don't know if it's in obscure footballer form. I don't know if it's a suggestion to another, maybe flop signings. I don't know. We've definitely spoken about him before. But Honduran striker signed by Peter Reed, 1.6 million on deadline day in 2000. Now, for context, Sunderland in 2000 were were going great guns. They just had their they just had their first season in the Premier League, seventh. Well, rather, first season back in the Premier League, seventh place in 2000 under Peter Reid, they would finish seventh again. And Sunderland were, were making inroads into Europe, they had a bit of culture here, Honduran striker Milton Nunes. Ultimately, that wouldn't pay off. Nunes would make just one appearance for the Black Cats on the same lines as Ali Dia. So I think you, you can definitely put Milton Nunes into the top 10 category here. <laughs> also, you have the folklore of mistaken identity. Perhaps that's still up in the air. So Milton Nunes is formerly of Pauk fame, as I'm sure you all know. He played in a 4-4-2, something like that, um, alongside Adolfo Valencia. Now, potentially, there is a rumour that Peter Reid was actually after Adolfo Valencia. Now, Adolfo Valencia sounds a lot like Milton Nunes, doesn't it? Christ on a bike. These are professionals here. £1.6 million is changing hands. Surely get the right guy they don't. They, I don't know if they look alike, but in 2000, the names should be enough. You know, Ian Rush and John Aldridge, all this again. <laughs> Come on. Milton Nunes has been contradictory about whether or not he was a case of mistaken identity. He said in 2016, some years later, some years after the fact, after he'd retired, that he was absolutely the player that Sunderland wanted to sign. But then a year later, he told an Honduran newspaper that the rumours were true that Peter Reid tried to sign Adolfo Valencia. Maybe in an alternate universe, Adolfo Valencia is making those claims to a, a newspaper in his homeland after he's signed for Sunderland, but Peter Reid actually wanted Milton Nunes. <laughs> Either way, it probably wouldn't have ended well. This is, of course, trying to probably plan after after Niall Quinn's retirement. They would botch that job and Sunderland would be down in 2003. Bounce up and down, multiple record low points tallies as we know 2006 would be even worse than 2003 graduating from 19 points to 15 points before finally under Roy Keane becoming a more permanent spot in the Premier League before as we know unfortunately going down all the way to League One where they still currently inhabit AFC Finners he suggests Gabriel Obertan and yeah another another shocker from uh, Man United this is AFC Finners as the worst I can remember and this is along the lines of a Clevis and Eric Jemba Jemba to an extent. Massimo Taibi, not as bad as him. <laughs> but he's not even the worst signing by United around this time. Now, United, they'd had bad signings like the aforementioned Clevis and Jemba Jemba. When they were trying to rebuild another team, when Ferguson was trying to rebuild another team, didn't go too well. They had a couple of years in the wilderness, the wilderness of third place and, <laughs> and regular Champions League football. That was wilderness at the time, everybody. Um, He's not even the Gabriel Overton isn't even the worst signing around this time. Bebe, there's a one. Um, put him in. Bebe is definitely one. Um, we'll be talking about him later with my suggestions. And this was when United were the team of 
Berbatov, Tevez, Ronaldo gigs to an extent. That was over. Um, Ronaldo's sale put pay to that. That was over. They were trying to build another team. Ferguson wouldn't, I don't think, get a grasp on another team after 2009, really. Obertan, he had all the makings of a good player. He's a, quite a tricky winger. He's very good on football manager, if that's anything to go by. <laughs> and he's a, to be fair, Asamanga used to make all these signings all the time. He's like these left field signings and they just come good and turn into legends. Gabriel Obertan was no robber. Perez put that on the strap line for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but Gabriel, he had, had all the makings of a good player. Just he, was, he had to live up to Ronaldo. He had to live up to Giggs, Tevez to an extent. He was never going to. He never did. He never lived up to it. United never lived up to it. At Newcastle United either. And ultimately went the way of Bebe, Cleberson, Jemba Jemba, not Nanny, Ronaldo, etc. <laughs> not not in the top, top bracket for the you know, worst players ever, but... Um, He's definitely, um, definitely can be in good company here, let's say. He's definitely suited. He's not out of place. Maracas Flute suggests Roque Junior. I did enjoy, this is him, I did enjoy how bad he was for Leeds. And yeah, from that point of view as a Man United fan, yeah, I did too. This was, this was in the land of Leeds United's diminishing returns. They obviously had to sell the likes of Jonathan Woodgate and Rio Ferdinand. And again, like, like Gabriel Lobert on the signing of Roque Junior. It wasn't, on paper, it was a, a, not a bad sign as we know. Football, the cliche goes, isn't played on paper. In the rocky world of Leeds 2004, we get Rocky Jr., a, a Brazilian international. It would have been a signing I'd make, backed into a corner. You got Woodgate and Ferdinand gone, arguably two gifted de- defenders of their generation. Woodgate might not have lived up to that hype later on, but Rio Ferdinand certainly did. Rocky Jr., cheap, looked a good player, played for Brazil, good on championship manager all the check boxes are ticked <laughs> and then when he gets onto the pitch maybe it was the state that Leeds were in at the time maybe it's just the Premier League at the time maybe it's just him but he just wasn't it he just didn't fit and Leeds obviously get relegated it doesn't help um Rocky Jr's gone and unfortunately yeah I think more of a flop than the worst ever um one of the worst ever uh, but it maybe be attributed to Leeds's time at the, at the at that time in the Premier League really Matty Mack suggests Josie Altador, at least for in the last 10 years. He says Ali D is the worst ever. Marco Fl- Marcus Flute also says, God loves a try and Altador did try hard, but, and I do usually try to see the best in new players. Don't remember really giving him much credit. And he's another one of these that is a good signing on paper, an Obertan, a Rocky Jr. Josie Altador had all the facilities to be a very good player, an absolutely superb finisher of the ball, a good hold-up striker if you want to play 4-4-2. He played 70 league games in English football across two spells. With relegation strugglers, Hull, Sunderland, he's got two goals. Two goals in 70 games. He was an absolutely superb striker. Again, another football manager god. I had high hopes for him, and I, me like Maracas Flute, I, I really wanted to get behind him. Um, I really wanted him to be good. It's always good when, when notoriously traditionally bottom half clubs like a Sunderland and like a Norwich to bring Ricky Van Wolfswinkel into this, get a very good attacker and he, they do very well. Andy Johnson for that season at Palace in oh, 04 or 05. It's always good when the, because the, then you, you get a more competitive league. Josie Altidore, I thought was that for Sunderland. Um, it turns out he wasn't. He left. He scores 47 goals in 88 games for Toronto in the MLS after that. 
So maybe it was Sunderland that were the problem. Maybe it was Hull that were the problem. Maybe if it had signed for an Everton, followed in Landon Donovan's footsteps or Fulham, Brian McBride's footsteps, maybe we would have had a better job at it. But uh, maybe it's the Premier League. Who knows? So some of some some of my suggestions, and I said I promised it, Bebe, seven million pounds, <laughs> seven million pounds from Guimaras, um, almost instantly selling Bebe, turning a huge profit. Alex Ferguson had never seen him play. Carlos Queiroz, he manufactured the deal. Some may say agent shenanigans. That's a quite the leap from a player who, by his own admission, was homeless uh, for a year or two before signing for Manchester United. Street footballer. Um, got his big break in the Portuguese league and then instantly gets sold to Manchester United for a huge sum of money. Um, seems a bit fishy to me. Um, scored a goal. Wow. <laughs> I think he scored in a dead rubber against Besiktas. I think he scored against Wolves in the League Cup when Wolves were championship or maybe even League One. Yeah, not it. Um, I, remember his, I remember his debut like it was yesterday. It was Scunthorpe, Glanford Park in the, in the League Cup. Third round, fourth round, maybe. This is when Michael Owen, Gabriel Obertan were in the team as well. <laughs> the second string was out. Bebe comes on. His first <laughs> his first action is to have a shot from 25 yards, puts it out of the ground, and that's just Bebe. Bebe still plays top-tier football. He plays for Rayo Vallecano. He doesn't play all that much. He started one game at the time of recording. Um, and it's as good as ever. He's got the most... I was reading, he has the most shot volume per 90 in the top five leagues. Now, having one start, these stats may be skewed, um, but with the highest shot volume, he also has one of the lowest XG <laughs> XG numbers. So he's just trying these shots whenever he comes on. As soon as he gets a ball, bang, 40 yards, goal. Well, not goal, obviously, in his case. But uh, there we are. And then obviously, Eric Jemba Jemba signed from Nantes, another all-action midfielder like Cleverson, who could have been, you know, the next rebuilding, the next retooling of Manchester United. Didn't quite happen. I think he wound up at St Mirren towards the end of his career. <laughs> it was fantastic. We've got Kiki Musampa is another one of my suggestions. Now, I, I what another one of these Man City pre-money signings who had, again, had the tools like Jemba Jemba to be a good midfielder in the Premier League, just never... Never really happened. I just, I, I just seemed to be, him to be aimless in the Premier League for an aimless team, really, at the time. Adi Akinbaye is another suggestion of fantastic, fantastic uh, nostalgia here. Famously went 18 games without scoring. Was absolutely shocking for Leicester as they go down, you know, the Filbert Street days. Um, I think the last season they had in the in the Premier League at Filbert Street, they went down in 2001-2. Andy Akinbaye goes 18 games without scoring, scores a goal, whips his shirt off, goes mental, um, and then didn't really do much after that. <laughs> of course, famous in the in the late 2000s for the nostalgia, even then, of <laughs> 2001. And again, Florence Cinema Pongol. Now I've just done, or will about to record, a Liverpool versus Olympiacos Great Games podcast on Patreon. One of the only goals I remember Cinema Pongol scoring for Liverpool was against Olympiacos in that Titanic Champions League game. Don't remember much else about him, would often come on and just do absolutely little to nothing. One of those Liverpool players like Pellegrini at the centre half, absolutely shocking, <laughs> absolutely shocking. Um, around this time, Benitez, Julia, that sort of, sort of Venn diagram there, and then Liverpool would, you know, bin. And everyone would forget about 
Um, Florence in a map on goal was in that realm. Antonio Nunes as well at fullback. Champions League winner, these lads. Um, anyway, Sean Dundee from one Liverpool player to another. Oh, we've covered him to death recently. Um, check out Obscure Footballer for my take on him uh, from a couple of weeks back. Yeah, almost got almost was a naturalised German when Germany were at their lowest, lowest ebb um, in between group stage eliminations. Uh, yeah, just did not cut it for Liverpool, then goes and plays in Germany for a little bit. Luke Nillis, another player who kind of looks the part, looks like the, the signing to do the correct signing for Aston Villa, was the part, played for Belgium quite a lot. Couldn't replicate his form in the Premier League, got injured, didn't play a lot and then was quickly dumped. I'm surprised nobody, um, surprised nobody mentioned him or... Winston Bogard, same as above, really. Champions League winner of Ajax, although he may, may not have been first choice and may have been young at the time. He's a good signing for Chelsea before the money comes in. Building a team after, after the cup winners as well, you know, the glut under Hullet and Viali. You've got Ranieri in now. Winston Bogard seems like a, an apt choice at centre-half. But he stewed in the reserves for a lot. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know who he annoyed but he spent years famously in the reserves. It was always a, a weekly bit on Match Magazine of, about where Winston Bogard was, I seem to recall. He just was a, a player who could potentially be a, a game-changing centre-half Dutch, Dutch international in the year of 96 squad, looked decent enough, and then just didn't happen for him for one way or another at Chelsea. And may will have to look into that um, a whole lot more to uh, get the uh, details on that one. And we'll finish off with some joke answers. David Ma 20903818. That sounds like a bot Twitter handle to me. Sounds like Roy Keane, he says. Um, yeah, fantastic. Uh, worst play, player in the Premier League ever. Yeah. And uh, Conor McCabe says, Harry Kane may just be a huge form of bias here. Although in his um, Twitter account, on his bio, it says he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan. So that's the reverse of bias. Worst Premier League. Maybe, maybe he misread it. Maybe... I misread my own podcast format and the previous 29 or so minutes. <laughs> but there we are. Next week, we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast and we'll be discussing Sleeping Giants in episode 63. What makes a sleeping giant? Who is a sleeping giant? How can you recover from us being a sleeping giant? Who, who isn't a sleeping giant? Are Manchester United sleeping giants? Can Champions League teams be sleeping giants? I've said sleeping giants enough. Um, that's the episode next week. Thank you very much for listening. And again, if you like podcasts like these, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash what if football for similar podcasts like these. Also, YouTube for alternate football universes daily, every single day until either YouTube explodes or I do. So check that on out. Um, yeah, see you there. Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.